Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University. Market Chat brings you conversations from industry and government that aim to empower our listeners with greater insights and knowledge on how to successfully market and sell to the U.S. federal government. I'm Luann Brossman, founder and president of Government Marketing University, and I'm co-hosting today's program along with Steve Watkins, our GMARQ's content officer and former editor of Federal Times. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Luann. Great to be here. In this episode of Market Chat, we're going to be talking about how to market and sell to the federal small agencies. Now, these are a small portion of the overall federal government, and we're going to tell you a lot about them today. But a lot of times they're totally missed in our marketing efforts, and that's why we decided to bring this topic into Market Chat. You know, Steve, uh, most of our federal marketing efforts are really focused on the larger federal departments and agencies, but there are so many smaller agencies that we want our listeners to learn about. So that's what we'll talk about today. We'll hear what sales and marketers need to know about these small agencies to ensure your marketing messaging and campaigns resonate with decision makers within small agencies. We'll also apply what you'll learn today in this episode of Market Chat to make better decisions and increase your company's overall visibility among small agency decision makers. We're going to cover several key areas, including what are the small agencies, who are they, and why should government sales and marketers market to them? We'll cover what makes them different from larger federal agencies. What are the advantages and disadvantages of marketing to small agencies? And also, what are some marketing best practices when working with small agencies? In the third segment of today's program, I'm actually going to do some training around marketing to small agencies, giving some good insight and best practices. So with that, I'm going to turn over the program to Steve Watkins, who will introduce our guest. Steve? Great, great. Thank you, Luann. So I'm excited. We have two fantastic guests who uh, I think are ideally suited to uh, be here and have this conversation with us and, and really introduce us to uh, what I would say can is sometimes a neglected segment of the federal marketplace. But uh, let's let's uh, break through that today. And, and um, first of all, we have Kimberly Hancher, who uh, is just Ideal. Thank you for being with us, Kimberly. Kimberly uh, has been working in federal IT for 30 plus years, uh, starting uh, for a number of many years uh, at the VA as a branch chief, uh, and then moving uh, to uh, the Federal Communications Commission as deputy CIO, and then uh, finally as the chief information officer at the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So, uh, Kimberly retired in uh, 2015 and uh, has been a, a consultant since then, but she has a lot of uh, great knowledge and, and personal experience in terms of managing programs and initiatives in the areas of strategic sourcing, IT modernization, uh, mobile uh, technology, service delivery, IT service management. And she's also been very involved in groups like GuyTech uh, as vice president and ACT-IAC as uh, chair of the Excellence in Governments uh, Awards uh, program and is a frequent speaker at IT events. So thank you very much, Kimberly, for joining us. My pleasure. And then we also have Mark Zellner. Uh, Mark also is a longtime federal sales and BD uh, executive who's worked with pretty much every agency out there. Uh, Mark is the managing, uh, I'm sorry, the managing partner of IAD Consulting and uh, has been a senior executive with uh, 30 plus years of experience in sales and BD, uh, operations, consulting, uh, both in the public and the private sector. So, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, <clears throat> like Luann said, there's, there's a lot uh, of perceptions, some probably a fair amount of misperceptions perception out there in terms of what are the small agencies you know what do they mean in the marketplace are they are they even worthwhile to to look at from from a vendor's perspective uh, so we're going to um, go pour through that and, and and really look at what are the small agencies and why should contractors uh, market to them so Kimberly uh, let me direct this to you small agencies are are often referred to as the non-CFO Act agencies or non-cabinet level agencies that's somewhat true not entirely true but let's start off with the who are the small agencies and how many are there well there's no real authoritative source uh, for listing all small agencies 
Estimates range from 100 to 150, but many of these are micro-agencies, like less than 50 people, really, really small agencies. When I think of small agencies um, with big IT budgets, I think of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, yeah. uh, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, NRC, Federal Election Commission, International Trade Commission, Import-Export Bank, and and those are just a few, really. Um, the small agencies, is it, it could be a misnomer, to tell you the truth. I mean, compared to very large agencies, such as the VA, um, these are typically smaller in size, and they are uh, independent. A lot of them are independent agencies, meaning that they have a chair and a commission, presidentially appointed and Senate confirmed. And and being independent, they're not connected to larger departments the way, say, the National Park Service or some of the other uh, agencies that people are, are probably right. familiar with. That's right. Uh, so... Um, yeah, and, and I think it's also important, you know, we, we mentioned the CFO Act uh, agencies, there's 24 of those, and those tend to be thought of as the 24 largest agencies in government. Um, however, there are um, small agencies uh, as part of the CFO Act uh, uh, agency group. Um, so, for instance, uh, USAID uh, is amongst those, uh, National Science Foundation uh, you mentioned the NRC, the, the National uh, Regulatory Nuclear Regulatory Council, uh, OPM. Uh, obviously, a lot of the federal listeners are, are familiar with the, the Office of Personnel Management. So those are all part of the CFO Act agencies. There's actually also a few small agencies part of the cabinet. Um, USTR, uh, the, the U.S. Trade Representative, Office of Management and Budget, which uh, everybody in government is familiar with. And the Small Business Administration. So, um, so there are small agencies, uh, th- you know, in the cabinet, in the uh, amongst the uh, twenty-four uh, CFO Act agencies. Uh, it's also uh, worth noting that not all the independent agencies are small. So, uh, there's uh, EPA and NASA and General Services Administration, Social Security Administration. So, these are pretty large agencies. Yes. So, we wouldn't uh, consider them as small, but. There isn't a, a, a small agency council uh, that exists, and it's active to some extent, uh, yes. ebbs and flows. So what, what can you tell us about that? I, I think the main thing to know about the small agency council, and I, I think it has a website, um, sac.gov, um, is that that's where many of the um, leadership initiatives um, get formed uh, along sort of along functional lines. So there's a pretty active small agency council HR group. Mm-hmm. I think they call it the Chico Council. And there's a fairly um, active uh, financial officer group, CFOs, across small agencies. And at the time that I was uh, chief information officer at the EEOC, there was a very active um, small agency CIO council. Mm-hmm. And we had um, a member who attended all of the um, CIO council meetings that were held among the cabinet level agencies and then uh, sort of brought back the highlights uh, and shared them. So it was a really important sharing organization. Unfortunately, it hasn't been as active as it has been in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can't talk about agencies without talking about missions as well. And uh, my understanding of the small agencies is the, the, the mission sets really span the gamut, don't they? They're kind of everything from uh, commerce and trade to energy and science and so forth. What- That's right. I tend to um, think of, a, of those agencies as regulatory in nature. A lot mm-hmm. of them are regulatory agencies. Um, the ones that I worked at were regulatory. And um, I'll talk later about you know some some of my own uh, sort of cultural change issues as I moved uh, from large agency VA to working with small agencies. Yeah, great. I can't wait to hear about that. Um, yeah, and so uh, 
you know, the small agency council, which which we talked about, so they kind of define small agencies as as agencies that have fewer than six thousand employees. However, most of the agencies, uh, according to their website, have fewer than five hundred staff, and many of them have probably fewer than a hundred. Um, and just to kind of throw out a few uh, names that none of us have ever heard of, but I think it's kind of instructive as to what we're talking about here. Uh, some of the micro agencies, as you mentioned them, Kimberly, the Pre-Trial Services Agency, the U.S. Arctic Research Commission, uh, the Harry S. Truman Scholarship Foundation, the Denali Commission, and so forth. So yes. there's a lot of those. It's um, true. And actually, as soon as w- one of my first jobs after I graduated from uh, – after I graduated – after I retired – from government uh, was with the United States um, uh, Trade Department of uh, Trade Administration, uh, USTA, I think it was called, and um, they were selecting a new CIO hmm. and needed some help on the selection committee. And I had never heard of that organization prior to them reaching out to me. Yeah. So, so let's jump in now to, to kind of what they buy, what the marketplace looks like. So um, what, what do they buy and how do they buy? Well, uh, you know, depending on their mission, um, there are very specific things that they would buy for their mission. But in general, small agencies buy the same kinds of goods and services as other organizations. They're likely to – they're more likely than large agencies to use existing contract vehicles – specifically the GSA schedules and other GWACs for professional services like CIO, SP3, and the soup variations of the soup contract, um, rather than you know doing the whole full and open competition, they just don't have the resources to run full and open competitions. And they're great clients of GSA and other agencies for those um, uh, government-wide acquisition contracts. Yeah, yeah. Mark? Yeah, in, in my experience, I've seen a lot of the smaller agencies also use um, the 8A vehicle um, for quick turnaround sole source opportunities. Um, but as Kimberly was saying, I mean, you know, you're looking at uh, what are the major issues right now that all the agencies are um, having issues with, you know, cybersecurity, you know, data analytics, um, those are areas of support that I've seen over the last probably two to three years hmm. um, that these agencies are acquiring. Yeah, yeah, terrific. Um, and it's just just actually that point um, of really thinking through what kind of services do I need, what kind of products, solutions, and services do I need in the IT world. Many of the CIOs work closely with their procurement official to come up with sort of strategic sourcing vehicles. Um, so uh, it might be that they've got, um, you know, a need for, let's say, engineering and operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will go to CIO SP3 and get all competitive bids through just that one vehicle. It's uh, much less work than doing a full and open competition. Yeah. Right. They have a they have a limited contracting staff and so they need they need that support. Right, right. So um so let's talk about, you know, I, I think a lot of vendors may look at small agencies and think, um, well, it may not be worth my while. Uh, you know, should we spend the time and resources, uh, you know, uh, exploring those those market opportunities? So, Kimberly, what would what would you say to them? Well, I know that a lot of small businesses who have been successful in, let's say, the commercial sector, are often looking longingly at the federal sector, uh, hoping to one day enter it. And um, I think. I would think that small agencies is a good way to get your foot in the door. Um, public sector reference account for a small business is a big deal sure. because then it helps you go to another set of um, agencies and show your success story and generate awareness about that small business capabilities. Right, right. Um and, and Mark, would you have anything to, to add to that in, in terms of, 
you know, we, we mentioned before that, you know, the, the contracting vehicles that they tend to favor are existing GWACs, uh, 8As, and so forth. So I imagine for a small business, that's particularly attractive if you can get in the door of the small agency and have, you know, have that case study that you can then kind of show other agencies. Yeah, I mean, it's very important to be able to leverage your solutions from one aging agency to the other. You know, you can look at um, what small businesses um, should do is look at, you know, within the small agencies, which ones have similar missions and then taking your solution and leveraging it to that other agency. We need to take a quick break and then we'll be back. You're listening to Market Chat bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Government Marketing University brings our community together to learn best practices in government marketing, along with the ability to collaborate with your industry peers. One way we do this is with our annual GAIN conference. GAIN 2018 will be held in Reston, Virginia on Thursday, November 1st. Become a gainer by registering today at www.gmarku.com slash gain2018. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Luann Drossman, the president of Government Marketing University, and I'm joined today with my co-host, GMarku's Chief Content Officer, Steve Watkins. In this episode of Market Chat, we're talking about how to market and sell to federal small agencies, a group of very important federal agencies that are sometimes missed in our marketing efforts. So, Steve, so far this discussion has been great. Let's continue on. Yeah, thanks, Luann. And so this segment, we're going to dive more into kind of what makes small agencies different than large agencies uh, in terms of their kind of market behaviors and practices. So, Mark, I'll start with you um, kind of. Broadly speaking, how do you see small agencies operating differently from you know from the perspective of someone in the market who's who's uh, targeting federal customers and uh, in terms of how they not only how they buy but also what some of their procurement drivers are? Well, I, I see that there's more flexibility. I think one one major difference I see between the smaller agencies and the larger agencies is, you know, I call them independent or dependent agencies, where the dependent agencies are fully funded by the U.S. government and independent agencies, not all of them, um, as we uh, spoke about earlier, but they receive funding from uh, other sources, such as receiving fees for the work that they that they provide to the citizen. Right. So they've got the funding there. They, so if there's like a CR or something, a lot of these agencies aren't affected. That's correct. That's correct. You know, this plays a large and with because of that, this it plays a larger role for them where there's not as much influence from the federal government on some of these independent agencies mm-hmm. where on the larger agencies there's a lot of influence. Kimberly, what, what what would you say are, are some of the key differences? And, and maybe you can kind of put your your hat on from your own personal experience of of moving from VA with three hundred sixty six thousand full time equivalent staff to uh, yeah. to EEOC or, or FCC with uh, maybe a thousand or two thousand. Well, I know personally, uh, after spending fifteen years at the VA. I got an incredible opportunity for, you know, running very large projects, very complex projects, and projects that, you know, were like for this incredible mission. It was a wonderful place to work uh, work for. And at towards the end of my career there, though, I was looking more for uh, making an impact. And in a large bureaucracy, it's often difficult to make an impact. Um, so in moving to the FCC, I found it very refreshing, uh, and and I really like the ability to make change. So there are fewer, I guess, hurdles to change in uh, small agencies, and that was one of the factors that attracted me and kept me at, at a small agency. And I, I really wanted to be a, a executive so that not only – was I doing my projects and um, 
you know, affecting the workforce, but I really wanted to um, um, impact the agency's effectiveness at doing its mission. Right. And I found that um, reward in working for small agencies. Um, I would say that uh, it's a little bit easier to access some of the decision makers in small agencies. Uh, we don't have a you know, tremendously dispersed organization. So IT shops, for example, were usually centralized mm -hmm. and rather than, you know, having a unit on the West Coast and an East Coast operation, that kind of thing. They're just not quite uh, organized that way. Uh, and then the funding sources was also kind of an interesting um, change. At the FCC, we had something called auctions funds. So in addition to the appropriation, there was a different sort of color of money, if you will. And um, auctions funds uh, could be used directly for auctions operations. So it helped really sort of um, have a more robust program because yeah. you had that additional funding source. Um, other organizations also have uh, revenue-generated uh, income. Uh, so, in other words, where they collect fees or, or uh, fee, have feeable services, and those are often available for their programs. So, I imagine that also translates to like the end of year, you know, buying frenzy that we often see with the larger agencies. That probably doesn't translate so much with with smaller agencies because you of know that. you you you're um, uh, nope. It, it's the same. <laughs> it's still it's there. the same. You would think <laughs> maybe universal. it would be different, but oh yeah, there's there's that end of year shuffle. Oh, there really okay. is. Yeah, Great. and IT was often the place that can always use yeah. any additional funds. So one in our planning, we plan for that, right? Because we know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, and um, it's an odd way to run an organization, but it, that it is a reality. Yeah, let me ask about you know the the larger government wide directives that that we all hear and read about. Uh, you know things like Vitara and the MGT Act, uh, the Data Center Optimization Initiative, uh, the President's uh, Executive Order on Cybersecurity, um, mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, are small agencies bound by these, or do they have a little more flexibility? It depends. That memo that gets written, you know, be it an OMB memo, executive order, or whatever, you know, is actually written, will specify whether it's for all agencies, cabinet-level agencies, that kind of thing. And often it doesn't specify. And then we have to find out if we're subject to that for compliance. And that was one of the big values of having that small agency CIO council is we could um, find out yeah. from OMB whether or not the um, small agencies would be subject to those kinds of reporting requirements, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and what, what we found is over time, the more that we brought up um, the need for clarification, the more that we got um, guidance that said follow the spirit of it, you are not going to be um, held accountable for reporting, but you need to follow the spirit of it. Right. And so it it was some guy. It was welcomed as some sort of guidance. Right. Um, and that's usually the way things will go. We're asked to adhere to the greatest extent possible to these um, directions from yeah. either the executive office or. Or OMB. Yeah. So those directives probably do to some extent um, translate into procurement drivers, um, but it's really kind of case by case. So you really have to do your research and kind of understand to what extent are these agencies, you know, really feeling bound by, by these directives. And yes. Compliance For example, um, you know, somewhere around 2010, uh, I was working on a strategic sourcing plan. In other words, how what kind of procurements do I need over the next 10 years? And um, I had just written a cloud-first policy, okay? And I was one of the first agencies that actually took the guidance that said you, sh you should be cloud-first, put it into a policy statement, applied it um, to my organization. And that brought the need then for a cloud hosting contract. 
Um, so a lot of times these um, federal directives do have a procurement aspect to them. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So what are the advantages then for, for vendors out there to, to market to these small independent agencies, would you say, Kimberly? Um, well, I'm going to let Mark talk mostly about this, but I, I, I think that um, small agencies make great partners. Um, we're, as I said, a little more predictable and a little less bureaucratic than um, the larger agencies. Mm-hmm. Mark? Yeah, I, would, I would agree with that. The, you know, when you're going and marketing um, to a larger federal agency, there is the, the maze that you need to go through to find that particular person that is going to make that decision. Um, and in a smaller agency, not as many people. And in my experience, it's, you know, within about, you know, four or five people that you can target, um, to get your message to, you know, in the past, you know, the, the larger, um, and now it's becoming more, um, competitive with regarding going to working with small, um, agencies, the larger companies, the larger agencies are not, um, the, their budgets aren't as big as they used to be. And so, you know, you'll go to a large company where their business development executive will have, you know, as their accounts, uh, USDA, DOJ, and the EEOC. Right. I mean, you'll, so the larger companies are starting to penetrate that market. Um, they have more vehicles, but I think, you know, the, a lot of the small agencies are still targeting and working with the smaller companies. So when we talk about kind of the procurement practices of small versus large, uh, is, is there a, a noticeable difference? So, so Kimberly, when you made that big move from, from VA to FCC and then to EEOC, what did you notice in terms of how decision, procurement decisions were made um, any differently? Well, um, the procurement planning mm. was a uh, annual event, and it was a collaboration, uh, you know, really specifically with the chief of procurement and, uh, you know, attending, but it's mostly between the CIO and the CFO. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, you really talked about uh, what you have ahead of you, what contracts are expiring, and what changes in requirements might need to be incorporated into new buys. Um, the CFO and CIO uh, relationship in a small agency is a really powerful one. And um, so those should be two decision makers that marketing efforts um, are directed to. The... Um, Procurement shops are typically like less than 20 people. So they're, they're really small mm. organizations and they look for those existing vehicles to use uh, rather than doing uh, buys yeah. themselves. Right. And so what, what were a few examples of some of the procurements that you were involved in? Well, for, um, for the IT program, uh, what I did was put in place the cloud hosting contract that I, that I mentioned earlier um, an engineering and operations contract that would uh, support both our on-premise um, data center and uh, as well as our cloud-based applications, um, a end-user support contract, and it was a managed service hmm. contract. So um, what I did with those contracts was shifted the burden to the service provider of managing the function. So the government um, sort of unloads that burden. We may be paying more for it, but uh, we'll be able to hold the vendor accountable for, you know, the service quality. Yeah. And kind of on that point, would you think that as a service offerings in general are perhaps more attractive for small agencies 
for no other reason than the small IT staff that they have. They, I mean, they they need to offload a lot of that infrastructure and yeah. and uh, free up people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just I knew that a long time ago, and that was my direction early on because, uh, and it came down to sort of simple guidance, which is we're going to keep what we do best and do that in house. Everything else that we are not the best at, I'd rather get a service provider that's really good at it and pay for that. Yeah. Um, do you think, uh, last question for this segment, but uh, to what extent do small agencies kind of hobnob with each other, tell each other stories about their, their vendors, their partners, their experiences? Mm. Well, the um, although the CIO council, uh, small agency CIO council, maybe is not having meetings, face-to-face meetings, they still have very active um, listserv. And so um, a, a CIO might reach out and say, hey, I'm wondering, are, is your shop um, making a move to the new enterprise infrastructure service contract that GSI is scheduled, you know, moving off networks? Have you completed your fair opportunity uh, evaluations? Uh, we're, we're in the midst of ours and we're uh, encountering this issue. Is anybody else finding this issue? So it's a great peer network. Yeah, great. So I think, uh, you know, the lesson for our marketing audience is, you know, you've uh, small agencies are a great way to, you know, get your foot in the door of federal work and to perhaps – once you once you get a toehold into one agency, then that does kind of open things up to perhaps approach other small agencies and expand on that presence. Okay, so uh, Mark, let let me ask you for the final question of the segment. Uh, what what tips would you offer, particularly for small businesses? We mentioned that you know there a lot of smaller agencies uh, do enjoy and practice. Uh, buying through 8As, through small agency uh, contracts. Uh, but what advice would you have for small vendors who have yet to break in, are looking to get that toehold? Uh, what are a couple tips for them? Sure. You know, most of, you know, most of the small businesses do not have a large business development group. Um, so you really need to focus your efforts um, and, you know, be able to uh, leverage the investment dollars that you have for these agencies. So my advice would be to, you know, look at agencies that have uh, similar missions. Um, Then you, at that point, you are able to leverage your solutions across multiple agencies. Um, For example, you know, you look at uh, the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board and um, the nuclear uh, regulatory, uh, regulatory commission. commission. Yeah, you look at those two agencies that have similar missions, um, and looking at um, opportunities that you know have they migrated from you know exchange on premise to um, Office three sixty five. Do you have experience doing that for an organization? Looking at you know cybersecurity. Looking at organizations to do um, predictive analytics. Um, And those agencies that I just mentioned um, would benefit from doing uh, predictive analytics on a lot of their data. So that would be um, a key aspect um, or tip for the small businesses to be able to uh, market across that's uh, a great agencies. tip. You know, those tips you mentioned, as well as everything else in this segment, is going to lead us really well into segment three, where we really get into the marketing training onto small businesses. But we need to take a break. So please stay with us as we learn about marketing to small agencies. You are listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Government Marketing University brings our community together to learn best practices in government marketing, along with the ability to collaborate with your industry peers. One way we do this is with our annual GAIN conference. GAIN 2018 will be held in Reston, Virginia on Thursday, November 1st. Become a gainer by registering today at www.gmarku.com slash GAIN 2018. 
Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. I'm Luann Brossman, the president of Government Marketing University, and I'm joined today with my co-host, GMark U's Chief Content Officer, Steve Watkins. Steve, I must say it's been a great discussion so far today. It sure has. Yeah, learned a lot. So in this next segment, what we're going to talk about with Kimberly and Mark is really around marketing. We're going to give some best practices and some insights into how to grab this audience. What are the marketing messages needing to be from the marketers listening to today's radio program? The way to do that is one of the big discussions today that we talk about a lot within Government Marketing University is agency-based marketing. And this really goes into understanding who your customer is, what agencies that you're targeting, and what better way than when you can go to the Small Business Council, get an .gov, by the way, um, get an entire list of every small agency, set down with your sales team, your business development team as a marketer, identify a select few or all, and then start crafting your messaging around that. And we're going to talk in this segment about some better ways on how to do that. One of the ways is really understanding and knowing your audience. And today, with all of the plethora of information available to government marketers, there's really no reason today that you can't really understand these agencies and how to really delve into it. But particularly today, because we have a former CIO of one of these agencies on our panel, I'm going to toss a question over to Kimberly as we start really peeling back the onion layers on agency-based marketing with small agencies. So Kimberly, when you were sitting in the CIO seat, where would you go when you were looking for new technology ideas? Well, um, I actually used vendor meetings uh, for market research. Um, As we, uh, for example, were looking at um, moving our mission system from an on-premise application to a cloud-based system, Um, I was interested in managed cloud services, and um, I invited uh, vendors in to talk with me about it. I uh, had prepared a one-page document that just kind of gave an overview of the applications that we had virtualized and were ready to move to the cloud. Um, So it gave me an opportunity without having a procurement underway to talk freely and openly and to answer questions and to ask questions and that kind of thing. Um, I looked for those vendors who um, were interested in meeting with me to have read our strategic plan, our agency strategic plan. Meaning come into the meeting prepared. The strategic plan that you're mentioning, that's public information, right? That any government marketer or sales rep could ask for that from an That's agency. Right. You can ask uh, from the Office of Public Affairs, uh, from whatever email you see on the website, The both the agency strategic plan and the IT strategic plan uh, should be available. That's great. I mean, everybody should take advantage of that. Um, okay, so Kimberly, these meetings you talk about with vendors, that's like you're the the dream CIO, right, that would want to take vendor meetings. So how would these meetings go about? Would most of the time vendors be reaching out to you or someone on your team? Would you identify vendors that you might want to meet with and reach out to them? How did that normally go about? Um, It it actually worked both ways. Um, When we were conducting market research, so for example, we're looking for a mobile device management software that is compatible with our off-brand email system, Novell GroupWise, okay? So I know what I need, and I know that there's vendors out there that probably meet the requirement, but I don't know a lot about uh, mobile device management, let's say. So in that case, I would do um, a search, usually using some sort of IT uh, research and advisory service, and there are many out there, Uh, to identify the leaders in the market, um, many times using the Gartner Magic Quadrant, like most decision makers. And then um, I would invite in the ones that uh, seem to be a good fit with our agency. Um, And that would be something that either I would do or I would require my division director to ensure happens with our technical staff. I'm one of those people that when we're embarking on a new area, I like to know <laughs> and feel like I have a need to know. Uh, in any case, 
that that's an example of right. inviting in. And you know, I think that that goes back to what we teach our students at GMARC U is to really pay attention to decision makers, CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, pay attention to where they're going, go where government is going, right? So if they were to see a CIO such as yourself speaking at a conference, pretty good odds are you'll be talking about a topic that is near and dear to you and your organization. So then that's great fodder for a marketer to have to be able to message into that agency as we talk about agency-based marketing. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes, absolutely. And then another example would be in the case where I get a cold call, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, and um, I typically would give a vendor five minutes. I'm available to listen for five minutes and tell me about your product or your solutions, your services. And then at the end of that five minutes, I would either decide that I would like to hear more or you know, I would thank them for the five minutes of information. And I would say a recommendation to our listeners on that is to team up with sales and marketing together to come up with these five-minute elevator pitches because it's continuity within messaging as well. So it's a great time that your organizations and your departments within your industry vendor can come together. Mark, do you have something to say? Yes, um, I would. I look at um, doing the, the three, before you make that cold call, do the three, what I call the three R's, research, Research and research. Um, I mean, it is getting more difficult to get in to see um, government executives because there are 4,000 competitors out there. And so everyone is trying to get in to see these individuals. Don't bore them with presentations. Do your research. Identify two or three issues and put that in work with marketing in order to put that into three to five minutes. Um, as Kimberly was saying, you've got five minutes. You may get one hour with the individual. Um, that may be your only time you're able to see that individual. Make sure that that counts. Um, because there are a lot of, and my view is also is become a, consultative business development person rather than a sales business development person. Um, really understand, you know, get get these individuals to talk. So when you're doing your consultative business development, go in there with a few a few questions that you need to get answered. Yes, that's that's great advice. Another thing I believe, and Kimberly touched on this, is the smaller the agency, the fewer decision makers that are there. So you can figure out and target who they are. So, for example, yesterday in preparation for today, I did a quick search on a small agency and I got a great org chart within a minute that has the CIO, the CTO's name, the CFO's name, and it's golden. And that's something as well that I think a federal marketer could potentially provide to their sales and BD organizations is provide that into them and work together again as a team and really being able to zero in on who these decision makers are and tag that message accordingly. Kimberly, do you ever, when you were in a senior level position in government, open up industry emails? Because we all send them. Are they going to a big dark hole? Is the firewall stopping them? And you're laughing. But what, no, the what, firewall what is, is not, the answer is, there? The firewalls are not stopping bona fide business email. Um, but it does catch a lot of spam, I'll tell you that. Um, as far as uh, email communications, um, I have to say that I had to ignore a lot of it. Would you say you would ignore pretty much all of it? What is any? Okay. So I think we're all hearing that. The kinds of things I will open and spend some time with are um, new concepts that I'm not familiar with. So would that be in the subject line to grab your attention? Yes. So if it said something like primer on software developed, uh, software defined networks, I would probably read that because I'm thinking, oh, I would love to have a little primer on that because okay. I know. like that word primer. Yeah. Marketers remember that word. You know, Kimberly, you've taught me a lot since we've been working together as an ambassador. You're an ambassador at Government Marketing University, and you've taught me about need to know. So share with our listeners what that means. Well, um, you know, there's just so much that you are responsible for um, when you're a director of IT or division that is involved in supporting IT. And so need to know means um, that you have a reason to 
go to a uh, an event or you have a reason to read that primer. And um, a lot of us work on need-to-know basis. So the priorities of my day uh, might be, I, I know that microservices is something that my chair mentioned during my briefing yesterday. I better get smart on microservices today. So that that's an example of a need-to-know. I'll go out and I'll seek information on a topic that I'm not familiar with. So another great tip for our listeners is I would think if you were inviting uh, agencies to an event, it might be good to have a section on need to know and maybe bulletize out exactly what they will walk away with. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, So as we keep talking about really trying to zero in on small agencies and zero in on decision makers within small agencies, one of the tips that I wanted to share with our listeners is the whole Uh, movement around geo-targeting. And I believe small agencies are just a perfect candidate for that. And so for those of you that aren't sure what geo-targeting is, that's the ability by geo area. So you can go in and identify a small agency or any government agency for that fact, where decisions are made and have the address and within a block or two block radius, be able to do retargeting ads. So whenever anybody in that agency or outside that agency is on their smart device or on the website, your banners will pop up. It's retargeting. It works. It's growing all the time. So I just want to share that with our listeners that geotargeting is a very good tool for you to have in your marketing toolkit for small agencies, for sure, because most of them are based here in the D.C. area. A lot of the larger agencies do have a lot of presence around the country and actually the world, but it's a great use of uh, smart media to do geomarketing. It's also great to do targeting around content syndication. Again, identifying the 100 agencies, which might be of interest to you, and do some very specific content marketing um, into these agencies another way. Mark, what would you say are some best practices that you'd recommend for our listeners today on marketing to small agencies? Well, again, as I said, I think, you know, targeting ones that have similar missions, and then start doing your research from that. You know, you can go in, a lot of the um, research organizations have the former RFPs, um, and then you can look at um, a lot of the recompetes that are coming up, because this is this market is full of recompetes. Um, limited budgets means limited new programs. They might have, the recompete may have um, new requirements, but at least you're you're able to um, look at uh, what they currently buy, and if there are any issues, go to GAO reports. So there's a lot Again, of research out there, public available. information out there that is available for all um, business development. And again, work with your as you're crafting your message. Work with the marketing staff. Um, they will be able to um, help you craft that message. Um, but again, it it all boils down to the three R's. And we know what those are. Research, research, and research. And that's across the board. You oh, know, another... I wanted, I wanted to add one more sure. idea. Um, one of the things that's impressive when uh, you are meeting with a vendor is their knowledge of other agencies. So if they're telling you stories about your sister agencies, in other words, those ones that are, have similar mission, and uh, then you know you're 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 totally tuned in because you want to know well what are they using for case management? Oh, have they been successful with adoption? And oh, are they having an RFP or a, a procurement that comes out? Can I piggyback on that procurement? And while that's been very uh, rare that small agencies will uh, issue procurement documents that um, other agencies can also buy off of. It, I think it needs to be a, tr- uh, a practice that you know, we do I love more that. and more. I'm glad you thought about that because, again, going back to things that you've taught me over the past couple of years, and one of those is don't assume agencies are talking to each other because it doesn't happen, and so vendors can come in and share that information. I love that. Absolutely. value added. It really is. You know, another tip that I want to share is uh, the power of social media. So, for example, again, quickly as I was looking to get some sound bites for today's episode, 
Um, I'm a big believer in going out to Twitter and finding out what the targeted agencies that you're trying to market and sell to, what they're saying. So, for example, yesterday I went out to FCC, and they're talking on their Twitter feed all about blockchain. They've pulled together a blockchain working group. Well, hello, if my company markets around the blockchain, then I'm golden from a marketer perspective because I now know FCC is talking about blockchain. So do not forget about um, going out to Twitter. Also follow the decision makers, the CIOs, the CFOs. Don't forget about the CFOs. They are influential in these small agencies. Find out what they're talking about and then craft your message around it. It really is that easy. Would you agree? Really is that easy. All right. So this has been great. I think that we've had a lot of great information today. I want to remind our viewers or rather our listeners that you can go to www.governmentmarketinguniversity.com and download a list of all of the hundred small agencies. We have them out there for you. We also have a lot of top 10 lists that I believe you'll find a lot of benefit uh, from. One of them is actually a top 10 list that we have from our CIOs that are ambassadors at GMARCU, Kimberly being one of them, talking about how not to get the attention of a federal CIO. And we'll be also doing a top 10 list from today's program, talking about the top 10 marketing tips for marketing to small agencies. I'd like to thank our guests today, Kimberly Hancher and Mark Zellner, and my co-host, Steve Watkins. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening. You've been taking um, a, a walk down marketing to serve to small agencies with us today, and we do appreciate you taking the time. You've been listening to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Government Marketing University brings our community together to learn best practices in government marketing, along with the ability to collaborate with your industry peers. One way we do this is with our annual GAIN conference. GAIN 2018 will be held in Reston, Virginia on Thursday, November 1st. Become a gainer by registering today at www.gmarku.com slash gain2018.